I want to just take a minute and say a, a prayer this morning. Uh, for those who aren't able to be here and, and wish they were, uh, so let's just pray real quick. Uh, Father God, I just want to ask for those who wish that they could be with us in the room, but due to illness or injury uh, or life circumstances, they are unable to, that you would bless them and heal them and help them to be with us in your time. It's in your son's name that we pray. Amen. Um, this morning, as we get started, we're going to be talking about, you've heard a couple of people talking about water uh, throughout the worship service this morning, and we've been singing songs that celebrate the, the resurrection water of baptism. And this morning, we're going to be talking about what happens at baptism. Uh, for those of you who have been baptized, who have been uh, immersed in water and come out because of your faith in Jesus Christ, uh, I'm sure that you remember that day. You remember that moment that you chose to be baptized. Uh, I remember when I was baptized um, right back there by my dad more years ago than I would care to admit. Um, I had an ear infection that morning. I woke up with an earache as a kid. I got ear infections often as an adult. I still get ear infections often. Um, and I had an ear infection that morning. And my mom was worried that if I got it wet, it would get worse. And so I had to go get a doctor's permission in an early hours clinic uh, to get permission from a doctor to be baptized to save me from my sins, which felt a little bit out of order, um, <laughs> but that is what happened. And so we went to the doctor, got clearance. He said, I think it's okay, uh, just wear an earplug. And so I, I, mom happened to have brought an earplug just in case. So that was great uh, advice. And so we came, I missed the sermon, so I was not in any way responding or coming forward as a result of a very good sermon that morning, um, and came forward, and my dad baptized me, uh, and that ear hasn't worked uh, really as well ever since, and I'm pretty sure it's because of the earplug that didn't get sanctified. Um, so, just a theory I have. Uh, but we've had a number, some baptisms are, are more memorable than others. I remember uh, one year at, at Camp Genesis up at Oklahoma Christian, there's a young man that was ready to be baptized, and it happened to happen uh, to occur during a massive lightning storm. And the baptism was going to be at O.C.'s pool, and so it works out that we are running across a field in a lightning storm, and he's screaming, God, don't take me now, I'm about to get saved! And, and he didn't. And we get to the water, and, and this guy, he'd not you know, been raised in the church or grown up at church, and so he really needed his baptism. Um, we get into the pool, and I get into the shallow end where you baptize people, and he goes to the diving board at the other end, dives in, and the whole camp waits for him to swim to me. <laughs> and he's just so excited about this moment. Um, I, I baptize him. It's, it's a really mo moving moment. He gives me a hug, and then he looks at me and says, now it's your turn, and he tries to dunk me, which he had no chance of doing. So I baptized him again, and we got out of the pool. Um, that kid today actually called me um, a couple of years ago. I, had, I hadn't thought about this when I wrote this story into my notes, um, but today he called me about a year ago to ask if I could help connect him with people that could raise money for a Christian organization that we sometimes partner with, because uh, they needed money, and he loves working with that organization. And it was incredible to hear how the waters of his baptism continue to wash over him and shape him into the image of, of Jesus Christ. Because we often think about baptism, and we remember ours, 
and we remember other people's. And, and when you think of it as that moment where someone gets saved, it's the moment of their, their decision going to their, their moment of faith, their moment of lifetime eternal commitment to Jesus Christ. And so we see, say things about uh, baptism like, what can wash away my sins? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. We say things like, there's a fountain free, it's for you and me, let us hasten quickly to its brink. We want to go to the water. And we focus on that moment because the reality is that making that decision to become a Christian and being baptized into Jesus Christ so that your sins are washed away has eternal implications. It changes you for an eternity. It changes so many things about what's going to happen. It washes your sins away. It brings you into relationship with God. It is the most important decision that you will ever make that because of Jesus' actions in the cross and his resurrection, that he invites you into baptism to save you. And when you make that decision, it changes your eternal destiny. But there are times that we miss what else it does. Uh, Paul writes in, in Romans 6, this was the passage that was read earlier, and I want to read it again. He says, what shall we say then? Shall we go on sinning so that grace may increase? By no means. We are those who have died to sin. How can we live in it any longer? There's this idea that, that if we are saved, we are now dead to sin. Something about our sinful nature has changed. Don't you know that all of us who were baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? We were therefore buried with him through baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, we too may live a new life. For if we've been united with him in a death like his, we will certainly also be united with him in a resurrection like his. For we know that our old self was crucified with him, so that the body ruled by sin might be done away with, that we should no longer be slaves to sin. Because anyone who has died has been set free from sin. Our sins are removed, but not just the sins of the past. Our, our sinful body and nature is changed into a resurrection body, which has a different, less sinful nature. Now, does that mean that, that we don't have to mess with or worry about? I mean, does it mean that people become perfect after their baptism? Of course not. Of course not. Now, if we died with Christ, we believe that we will also live with him. For we know that since Christ was raised from the dead, he cannot die again. Death no longer has mastery over him. The death he died, he died to sin once for all. But the life he lives, he lives to God. In the same way, count yourselves dead to sin, but alive to God in Christ Jesus. So do not let sin reign in your mortal body so that you obey its evil desires. You become a different kind of person as a result of your baptism. And, and this is important because we have this tendency to focus on the moment and the destination and to skip the stuff in between. We have this idea that baptism is a finished line 
that once you are immersed in water and, and receive Jesus Christ in baptism, that you then are just a saved person and you can just look forward to heaven. And the idea there is that, that we can be at times so focused on being saved that we forget that we become changed. Uh, it's been said before uh, that sometimes Christians become so heavenly focused that they're of no earthly good. That we get so focused on the destination of where we're going that we can get into this mentality of this world is not my home, I'm just passing through, I don't belong here, I don't have any responsibilities here, there's not a job description to Christianity, there's not something that changes in my daily habits in life as a result of my baptism. But Paul, even as he is giving us this, this passage that says, listen, don't you know if you're, you're baptized, you die with Jesus. And don't you know when you come out of the water, you're resurrected like Jesus. You become changed. And then he says, listen, here's what that's going to do. It's going to start changing you every day of your life. You're not going to be as, as drawn to sin. You're going to be drawn to eternal life in the present. You're not going to be drawn to uh, your own desires. You're going to start being drawn more to God's desires that you become this changed person. Now, he's going to go on a little bit later in this same letter and say, now I want to do the right thing, and it's hard for me, and sometimes I try and do the right thing and end up doing the wrong thing, and that conflict's all still there. But baptism changes us daily. It changes our desires, our habits. And, and when we think about how it changes us, I want us to look at several passages today. The first thing that I want you to see is that baptism changes uh, us from someone who is an individual to someone who is permanently in community. Uh, and, and God created us to desire community. Even if you're an introvert, you're created to desire some level of community. Uh, we all have had moments where we wanted, you ever have a moment where you tried out for something to be part of a team? And you wanted to make that team and you tried out and, and the way it felt when you either heard that you didn't make it, which feels horrible, or the way you felt when you found out you did make the team, you did make the club, you were going to be part of the band, that your audition was successful. It, that affirmation that you get to be part of something bigger than yourself, part of the group, is one of the most incredible unities and it, it meets a desire deep within us to be included in community. And the first thing that baptism does when you go into the water is you are placed into Jesus Christ. But not only Jesus Christ, you enter into a community with the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. You have a family with the Trinity. You have a family with the God who created, the Son who lived and saved us on the cross, and the Spirit that now dwells within us, shaping us, forming us, guiding us, giving us all that we lack so that we can do all that God desires. Uh, that happens in baptism, is you get that community with the Father, the Son, and the Spirit. And one of the things that's really neat is if you go look at so many of the New Testament scriptures that talk about baptism, is they include a mention in the same teaching of the Father, the Son, and the Spirit. 
they're almost, they're so very often, they're so very often included in those baptismal teachings that, that the Father, the Son, and the Spirit are connected to us and our decision to become uh, immersed people, resurrection people. And so in Matthew 28 and verse 19, which is where Jesus is about to ascend into heaven, he commands the apostles to go into all the world, making disciples and baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. That the three as one become connected to us in our baptism. Peter, in his sermon in Acts chapter 2, where he's giving the first evangelistic sermon after the Spirit has come, is giving this sermon, and he references the Father, the Son, and the Spirit when he instructs his listeners to be baptized in the name of Christ to receive the gift of the Holy Spirit as the Lord our God has called. The three are doing something in the water. And after that, that happens in the water, you come out as a resurrection person. And as a resurrection purple, you, person, you've got a new family in God the Father, God the Son, and God the Spirit, are connected to you in a different way than they were before you went into the water. It brings us into community with God. How much is that true? Is that just symbolism? If you go look at 1 Corinthians chapter 6, um, I, I want you to see that this isn't just like a symbol or a metaphor for Peter and for Paul, that they understood this to be a real connection, a real unity. Uh, so in 1 Corinthians 6, uh, starting in verse 12, he says, I have the right to do anything, you say, but not everything is beneficial. I have the right to do anything, but I will not be mastered by anything. You say food for the stomach and the stomach for food, and God will destroy them both. The body, however, is not meant for sexual immorality, but for the Lord, and the Lord for the body. By his power, God raised the Lord from the dead, and he will raise us also. Do you not know that your bodies are members of Christ himself? Now, now here's what he's saying. We as people who have been baptized become part of the body of Jesus Christ. How much so? Do you not know your bodies are members of Christ himself? Shall I then take the members of Christ and unite them with a prostitute? Never. Do you not know that he who unites himself with a prostitute is one with her in body? For it is said, the two will become one flesh. But whoever is united with the Lord is one with him in spirit. Flee from sexual immorality. All other sins a person commits are outside the body, but whoever sins sexually sins against their own body. Do you not know that your bodies are temples of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have received from God? You are not your own. You were bought at a price, therefore honor God with your bodies." We don't often think about this passage in this way, but this is a baptismal teaching, really. You go into the water and you become united with the Trinity. How much so? So much so that when you commit sexual immorality in your body, you are connecting that person to the body of Jesus Christ because you're part of the body of Jesus Christ. For Paul, this connection of being a temple with the Spirit dwelling within you and being baptized into Jesus Christ is so real 
that it has ethical and moral implications. You're so connected to Jesus that when you go sleep with someone you shouldn't, you're connecting them to the body of Jesus, and you shouldn't do that. And I, I think this has more ethical implications to, for me. Uh, the question for me is, should I you know, go take drugs? Well, would you connect drugs to the body of Jesus Christ? Should I do things and go places that I shouldn't go? Would you take the body of Jesus Christ into those places? If the answer is no, don't, don't do that. And so there is this very real sense in Paul's teaching that we are so connected to Jesus that when we connect things to ourselves, we connect them to Christ. And so if you wouldn't connect something to Jesus, don't connect it to yourself. It's that Real. It's not just a symbol uh, that just kind of says, oh, you're a part of something now. You get the God t-shirt. You get to put it on. You can, you're still you, and you can kind of do whatever you want uh, as long as you wear the God t-shirt. No. This has real, practical, everyday implications for the choices you're making. Will you live accordingly? And notice, again, that Paul reminds us that not only do we connect it to Jesus... But in verse 15, it says that our bodies are members of Christ himself. In verse 19, our bodies are temples of the Holy Spirit. And in verse 20, which we have received as a gift from God the Father. That language is there over and over again. Uh, baptism really unites us to the Father, the Son, and the Spirit in a way that should change where we go, what we do, how we behave. It should change our understanding uh, of our loneliness. It should change our understanding of our job in the world. If you've been baptized, you can't be alone. Because God is always with you. His Spirit is always in you. And the things you do, you do as a member of the body of Christ. And it doesn't just change how we're connected to God. It changes how we're connected to one another. Baptism changes our us. And, and I've talked about this before. This isn't a new concept to the room. Um, but the first us that you receive as a human is the one you're born into. It's your family. It's your uh, person that you do Mother's Day and Father's Day with. And, and, and over life, that us may change. Adoption may move your us. Uh, having a family member uh, that, that disappoints you and you've got a friend that becomes more of a family member to you moves your us. And then as soon as you become a living, breathing human, not only do you have your family, but you start to grow your us into other ways. You grow it based on the way that you connect with people and the ones who are like you and the ones who have your back. And so we know uh, that there are all kinds of things in this world that divide us and there's all kinds of things in this world that connect us. So the things that divide us create your them, your they, the other. But the things that unite us, your commonalities, the things you share, create your usness. Um, you know, there is something about when you're walking uh, in a store and you see someone wearing a shirt that's of the team that you love the most. Alton, you get excited when you see a Cleveland Browns fan? I do. He does. I do. do you talk to them? Because yes. that's your brother. That's right. Yeah. 
and there's not many of them around here, and so they got to stick together. Sure, right? sure, yeah. I see a Dallas Cowboys fan, and we just look at each other and go, "You get it," and they go, "Yeah, we get it." It's, it we we are co-sufferers in our fandom as Dallas Cowboys fans. So Browns fans get excited to see each other. Cowboys fans just kind of sad face to get tissue boxes or something. But you connect with them because you know that you have shared experiences even though you don't know each other's names. That's part of your usness. And there's so many different ways that, that we define that. And it's so many different ways that we divide ourselves as well. There are dozens of barriers that the world often expects to keep us from connecting with one another. Barriers uh, like the fact that uh, some of you have more money than I do or less money than I do. And the world says that, that you need to find people that are in your tier and spend time with them. The world says that we should be uh, at times divided by race or that we should hang out with people our age. Uh, age prejudice is happening in all kinds of ways in our country today that are extremely dangerous. Um, and you, you know what I'm talking about. You're not like, who do you mean? You know exactly what I mean. Grandparents have a difficult time having a shared worldview with their grandchildren in the world we live in today. And not only do they have different worldviews, but they tend to look down and judge the other one's worldview. That's a problem. And the world perpetuates those problems and it feeds it. And it wants to, to funnel us into even narrower and narrower us communities with more aggressiveness towards the they communities that are out there in the world. So that we are separated from the thems and get smaller and smaller us's. You may come from the other side of the tracks or not vote the right way or not speak my language or not come from where I come from. You may dress differently than me. The world will never stop coming up with ways to divide us into smaller us's. And baptism seeks to reverse that. Baptism desires to destroy the barriers that the world puts between us to divide us. So Paul, when he's writing to the Galatians, he doesn't only tell them that baptism connects them to the Father, the Son, and the Spirit. He says, for all of you who were baptized into Christ have clothed yourselves with Christ. There is neither Jew nor Gentile, neither slave nor free, nor is there male and female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. And if you belong to Christ, then you are Abraham's seed and heirs according to the promise. You become part of God's family, and the divisions of the world no longer apply to you. All of the things that form your them and your us get broken and reformed. Now, that doesn't mean that suddenly everyone in the whole world becomes your us. God knows that we were created with a desire for inclusion. We still have that hunger to be on the team, to be in the band, to be part of the family, to be part of the community. We still long for an us, but the old barriers are destroyed. The barriers of the world are demolished. And if you're baptized, your us moves. Skipping a little ahead to Galatians 4, he says this, But when the set time had fully come, God sent his son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those under the law, that we might receive adoption to sonship. 
Because you are His sons, God sent the Spirit of His Son into our hearts, the Spirit who calls out, Abba, Daddy, Father. So you are no longer a slave, but God's child. And since you are His child, God has also made you an heir. You are a child of promise, a descendant of the Creator God who made all things and is over all things and who has set His Son up as King of kings and Lord of lords. And that Son that's over all things, we become co-heirs with Him. God becomes our adopted Father. And what a gift that is. This is a church that over the years has celebrated adoption and foster care and and the wonder of a parent saying to a child, you used to be someone else's us, and for the rest of eternity, you're now part of my us. You're my kid. And, And in every way, you share in the inheritance. In every way, you share in the love. There is no part of my heart that is closed to you. And this church celebrates and loves adoption stories. And God loves adoption stories because we are all His adoption story. God saw us when we were spiritual orphans and said, If you will be baptized, you will become my sons and daughters. You'll become my children. And you get all the benefits and all the perks. And you do it because you believe in King Jesus, but King Jesus is now Brother Jesus. And we become brothers and sisters to one another with God the Father giving us all the blessings of being His adopted children. So when you become a baptized resurrection person and you go under the water and you die to your old self, are your sins washed away? Yeah. Do you get to go to heaven? Yeah. But is that all that you get so just don't worry about it until you get there? No way. You get to right now start participating in the community with the Father, the Son, and the Spirit as adopted children who have a whole new set of brothers and sisters that are your new us. And the barriers of the world have no part in the new us under the new Father with your new brothers and sisters. And so when it changes your community that much, it changes everything about your life. And when the Spirit's inside of you, it's transforming and shaping you too and starts changing your life. And so baptism isn't just about buying your ticket to a heavenly home. Baptism is about changing every aspect of who you are in in God's eyes and in the eyes of your family and in the eyes of the world. You become a new creation. You become someone who has a purpose and a reason to live and a people to do it with and a journey of life. And when we understand this, it helps us to appreciate that baptism, and so often it's, we think of baptism as the finish line. Like we've been trying to walk you to this finish line and you got baptized and now you're saved and you've made it, congratulations. Now just hang on until the end, you've got your ticket to to heaven. The New Testament doesn't talk about it that way. When you get baptized, you become a babe in the faith. Now it's time to grow up. When you get baptized, you put on new clothes. Now it's time to live into them. When you get baptized, you're starting the journey. Baptism is not the finish line. It's the starting line. It's the starting line of a journey and an adventure with the Father, the Son, the Spirit, and the church, and the family, and, and all of us together. 
to go on this great journey of life knowing that we don't have to worry about the stop at the end because that's just a going to sleep until we wake up in eternity and keep walking with God forever. What a gift. What a blessing. Baptism is the place where those eternal changes happen. This morning, if you're here and you've never made that decision to get baptized, I'm not inviting you to a ticket party. I'm inviting you to the starting line of a life of faith with all of that we've talked about today. And if you've never made that decision to walk with God, uh, come forward this morning as we stand and sing. Let the